Don't look now, but we're solidly in the grasp of winter. And that means that me and a lot of other folks are starting to think about Florida and possible spring break trips. And we're going to talk about some opportunity fishing on just that kind of trip on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks as always for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I think we're going to call this one the Frozen Podcast, though. It's cold outside. But regardless of the temperatures, it's always brought to you by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at any one of 140 plus stores nationwide or at sportsmans.com. And I'll throw out there that there's a bunch of new stores for Sportsman's Warehouse in Florida. And I'm a Florida native, so I'm happy to see that. All of those stores have been open in the last year or two. And, uh, and I'm happy to see that. But guys, it is now solidly into January. We've already had the Denver International Sportsman's Exposition. Uh, more importantly, it is cold outside. The whole country is cold outside right now, not just here in Colorado where I live, but all over the place. It is really cold out, uh, about as cold as it ever gets across the country, it seems like right now. And that's got uh, my home lake, which is 150, 160 feet deep at the current water level it's at, froze literally bank to bank north to south over two-night period. Uh, went from no ice to completely capped just that quick, a 2,000-acre lake that's uh, pushing 200 feet deep in certain spots. So that should tell you how cold it got. Uh, very, very cold out. And it gets me immediately thinking about travel. And I know from, from 20 years of doing this for a living and another 20, almost 20 years of traveling prior to that, 15 years traveling prior to that, uh, about the time the holidays come and go, I start thinking hard about some place to go get warm. I guess it's because I grew up in Southeast Florida and Jupiter, Florida. If any of you are from Florida, um, I'm sure you think along the same lines. But I was raised on the beach, uh, basically right at the mouth of the Jupiter Inlet. Spent a lot of my time there and a lot of warmth, a lot of fish right there. And so when Colorado sinks into the cold or really anywhere in the West United States sinks into the cold, uh, I start thinking about traveling right away. And fortunately, this year particularly, I don't know if it's because of the economy or what, but some airline tickets have gotten very cheap. I just got some round-trip tickets to Florida myself. In case you're wondering if I practice what I preach, I just got some round-trip tickets myself down there for less than 200 bucks a piece, including luggage. So uh, pretty good deals to be had. If you look around right now, I recommend a last-minute trip and fly down to potentially Florida, maybe coastal Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, anywhere you can go get warm and catch a few fish. And the biggest thing that, that, that I want to be clear about on this podcast is if you're going to do that, even if you're taking your family down there um, and it's not just a spring break thing, maybe you're going to visit your grandma or maybe maybe you're just going to get warm like me, uh, I'm going to recommend that you fish while you're there. And I'm not going to recommend that you take a whole bunch of specialized gear for it because the reality of the situation is you don't need it. I've done a whole bunch of podcasts uh, over the last few years, and including a couple on this very topic, but it always changes a little bit, and I know that none of you guys listen to all my podcasts, and I appreciate the ones that you do tune into, but let's talk a little bit about some of the nuances. And first of all, here's the thing. doesn't matter if you're flying to coastal Texas or anywhere along the coast of Florida, or maybe even South Carolina, something like that, Georgia, um, there's opportunities to fish without 
spending very much money and without necessarily having a boat or anything like that. There are plenty of opportunities to fish, not, not just a few opportunities, but there's always going to be some really good chances to fish, whether they be you know, little park areas, inlets, seawalls, bridges, um, even retention ponds. In, in, in Florida particularly, retention ponds and canal systems all through uh, can be very, very good places to fish. And furthermore, it doesn't even depend a whole lot on where, at least in the case of Florida, where you go. You're going to have opportunities from, you know, the extreme northwest Florida all the way around the Panhandle and the peninsula, all the way back up to St. Augustine. There's always going to be opportunities for plenty of bank fishing. And that's the first thing to keep in mind. You know, if you're you're taking the whole family, maybe you don't want to deal with renting a boat. Maybe you don't have boat experience. And certainly maybe you don't want to spend the money on hiring somebody. Well, the point of this podcast is to demonstrate that, look, you don't need to have any of those things. You can go stand on a seawall somewhere and do just fine and enjoy yourself. And in a lot of cases, you won't even know what kind of fish you catch. But I would venture that you'll catch fish with just a few basic concepts in mind. And again, I've done other podcasts on this. These are always made up on the cuff. And if you search back through our library at Podbean, you can find those others as well. And I'm sure I had some other information to share there. But let's talk about, first of all, some of the key things that I would look at. And, and I'm going to go to Florida more than, than the other states in terms of referencing back to this podcast because I've fished everywhere from coastal Louisiana, Mississippi, all the way around. But I've spent the overwhelming majority of my coastal time in Florida. And so as with anything I like to talk about, whether it be on a podcast or in writing or you know, in, on TV, whatever, it's got to be something that I have done a bunch of myself or I'm not going to try to talk to you guys about it. So I'm going to reference more about Florida, but understanding there's only minor nuances between going to, say, Florida and, say, coastal Mississippi. Uh, that you might be going to, or, or Venice, you know, maybe New Orleans or something like that. Uh, first off, tackle travel. Am I traveling with my own tackle? And that depends a little bit on um, how serious of fishing you want to do. If I'm going down there, I typically will bring myself two rods and two reels. They will be two-piece or three-piece rods and they will go in a tube, and I will carry them as a carry-on. That's normally how I will travel to Florida. That's my most basic. If I'm bringing tackle, I bring two. And the reason two, because it's no harder to carry two than one, and if something goes wrong with one, you break one, something like that, you still have another one with you. And best case scenario, nothing goes wrong with your tackle. Well, now I have two rods to fish with, which is is better as well because you can have two different lures tied on or you can dead stick a rod with bait on it while you fish another one with a lure on it or something like that. But I will tend to bring two or three piece rods. And if you look around, there's a bunch of companies that make two and three piece rods. Fenwick and Penn are the first two that come to mind when it comes to uh, travel type rods. Either of those have excellent choices for you to travel with in the event that you want to buy some tackle for this. But the other thing I'll throw out there is if you don't have those rods and you don't want to deal with with buying them or you're not going to travel like this enough and, you know, to justify buying tackle, well, another possibility is to walk in whatever store, be it a sportsman's warehouse or any one of a jillion mom and pop stores up and down the coast of, of Florida, Texas, you know, all the states we mentioned, 
and buy a very inexpensive rod. Now keep in mind in this scenario, you only need that rod to last for a week, maybe 10 days. We don't have, we're not talking about lifetime tackle. And as you guys know, most of the time, I'm gonna advocate that you buy good tackle because it will make a difference in your angling. But if you're talking about gonna spend two days out of a eight day vacation sitting on a seawall somewhere, well then I don't need to have a, a really fancy rod. Will I find more enjoyment out of it? Sure. Would I catch a few more fish? Absolutely. But would it come? Would it would it make enough of a difference that uh, that I'm not going to fish if I don't have my own tackle? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you a funny joke. One time, I traveled with a buddy of mine to Florida, and we brought four rods. We brought two each. Uh, and when I'm traveling, we'll get into what specific rods I bring as far as uh, length, power, and action here shortly. But we traveled with them. So we get a rental car, and it's actually a minivan. And the reason we got a minivan is you can put your cooler in there, you can leave your rods rigged together and stick them in the back, and you can then travel around and fish like some sort of a happy fishing gypsy, which is one of my favorite things to do. Stop wherever the opportunity arises and fish. So we rented a minivan. So first thing, we get out of the airport, we're all giddy, we get to the first place there's water, I rig up all four rods, okay? Get the rods rigged up and I leaned them up in a really dumb spot. I leaned them up uh, basically in the door of the minivan, the sliding door, the side door. And I told my buddy, hey, watch out, I leaned those rods up right there. Uh, if I had thought that through a little bit, I would not have leaned him there in the first place. So it's really as much my fault as his, even though I warned him. But within one minute of me telling him that and him acknowledging it, he turned around and instinctively closed the minivan door without looking and crushed all four of the rods that we had brought from Colorado to Florida to fish. So other than being an expensive mistake, it ended up not being a big deal because we literally drove to the first tackle shop and we bought four rods. And did I want to spend that money? No, but I think we bought four rods that were like 30 or 40 bucks a piece. It was not the end of the world in the grand scheme of a vacation. Uh, did we have this quality of rods we had before? No, uh, we didn't. And I replaced them when I got home. But at the end of the day, we got to fish just as much as if we hadn't broke those rods. And the point of that being on that particular trip is we were going to the Florida Keys, which is very fishing intensive. And we still got by just fine with those rods. And incidentally, I'll throw out one more thing. If you are going to go buy rods like this, buy rods that you are familiar with in terms of length, power, and action. I am not going to advocate that because you're now fishing in salt water that you go buy some big, giant, heavy-duty rod because the reality is, particularly fishing from the bank and without maybe knowing exactly what you're doing, and I mean that in the nicest way, but if you're not a coastal guy, it's a different beast altogether. And does mean you won't catch fish, but you might not catch the biggest fish you've ever seen. So getting rods that you're comfortable with and familiar with is going to be paramount to you having a good time. And so we bought simple inshore style uh, basic rods that in, in hindsight, I think they were the very bottom of the line pen rods that we bought uh, on that particular trip when we broke them. But in, in other trips past, both in fresh and salt water that weren't meant to be fishing trips, I have bought rods. And then here's the best part of the whole thing. Well, you say, well, now you went and bought these rods. You spent 100 bucks on four fishing rods or, or you spent 30 bucks on a fishing rod. What do you do with it if you didn't fly down there with it? I invariably, each time, have found a kid that is fishing somewhere on a beach or uh, by the lake or someplace. I find a kid that is fishing and I'll initiate a conversation with him. And as soon as I find a kid that's respectful, I will give him that fishing rod and I will leave 
it with him and let him fish it or her, as the case might be, as a bonus deal for, for just being nice to me when I randomly walked up to them. And if you don't want to bring reels, the reason I say rods, let me, let me clarify here. The reason I say rods is because they're the only thing that's hard to travel with. You can travel with your own spinning reels very easily. And incidentally, I recommend spinning reels, not casting reels for, for fishing inshore saltwater stuff. Um, you can travel with your own spinning reels in your luggage without having to pay any extra, but fishing rods, if they don't fit in your luggage, may end up costing you a, an extra checked bag or an extra carry-on bag, uh, which will offset some of the cost of buying them when you get there. But you can also just not buy, bring any fishing tackle and buy a cheap combo and accomplish the same thing as well. And uh, in my case, I typically just fly with the reels. But I'll just give the kid a fishing rod and leave. I've done that at lakes around the country. Invariably, it makes kids very happy, and it'll make you feel good, and you'll get your fishing in, and everybody be hunky-dory after that. So that's what I end up doing with them uh, when I'm, when I, whenever I do purchase a rod for a, for a one-off use uh, or a one-week use, something like that. Uh, and that's a key thing too. In fact, I broke a, a really high-end rod one time on a, on a trip to Arkansas, and I only had one rod with me, and I broke it, and I went and bought another one at a tackle shop that was, that was just a cheap replacement to get me through a couple of days, and then uh, and then I gave that rod to a kid uh, as well, and that kid stayed in touch with me for like a year. I gave him a business card, and I'd got a thank you note from him, and then about once a month, I'd get another another email from him uh, sending me stuff that he'd caught with that rod. It really made me feel a lot more good about life than that $40 I'd spent on that fishing rod. So any rate, that's what I recommend you do. But let's get back to the, to the root of this thing, and that is the opportunity fishing thing. I'm going to recommend you get into something between about six and seven feet long, six and a half to seven be my preference, and medium to medium heavy powered, understanding that if it's a saltwater rod, which you're likely to buy in a tackle store somewhere along the coast, uh, whether it be a big box store, sportsman's warehouse, whatever, um, it's probably going to be heavier powered than what you're used to anyways. In other words, a medium powered saltwater specific rod that Penn produces is going to be stiffer than a medium power, you know, freshwater rod that Abu Garcia produces that you're probably more familiar with. So a medium or medium heavy power rod will be fine. And that'll make more sense when I talk about lures here in a minute, but it doesn't have to be very long. You don't need a big giant surf rod, even if you're going to fish on the beach. Uh, I've fished my entire life on beaches. I grew up on the beach. I've never owned a surf rod. So you don't need to have one of those uh, to catch fish on the beach. That's a very specialized thing. Guys have it. They're good at it. That's fine. But you don't need to do that. Buy something you're comfortable with. And also, I'll throw out, you can mail it to yourself, uh, mail it home, although the cost of mailing it may be worth more than the rod. So if you're going to buy a higher-end rod, then, go, then consider mailing it back. But as far as the reels go, again, I'm not, I want a bigger than average reel. I'm going to get a size 30 or a size 40 spinning reel. If I'm bringing them, that's what I'm going to bring. If I'm buying them, that's what I'm going to buy. And the reason being, more than anything else, is the drag surface. I need the larger drag surface, the, the, the surface area that the drag washers spin on. And the reason is, you're going to get fish that will pull a lot more drag than what you're used to in, say, Colorado, where I hail from. I don't care if you caught the world, the, the, the state record wiper. He is not going to pull as much drag as a 10-pound uh, saltwater fish is going to pull. You hook a Jack Crevel fishing off a bridge abutment somewhere that weighs seven or eight pounds, and he's going to make that 15-pound that wiper look like a joke. 
And people don't believe me until they go down there and they try it. But that's the reality of the situation. And by the way, that's a fish you can almost guarantee catch from the bank in a bajillion places around the Gulf Coast, all the way around the east coast of Florida. And that's a Jack Crevel. Is it a giant uh, trophy species? No, absolutely not. In fact, a lot of people would, would kind of laugh them off. But the reality is you want to get your string pulled, they will definitely pull your string. And I'll give you a little tidbit. Nobody in Florida eats them, but they should. Eat from the lateral line up. In other words, the, the what I would call the loin cut off the fish. Skip the belly cuts. Marinate it in orange juice and soy sauce for about an hour and a half and throw it on the grill. It is delicious. But I don't want to digress there either. Uh, Medium power to medium heavy power rod, a size 30 to size 40 spinning reel, um, and then braided line. And if you're going to pick braided line, I'm just going to pick straight 20-pound braid. That will solve anything you need in Florida within reason. Um, if you're going to buy a rod as a combo, like, I'm, like I mentioned early on, and it comes with line on it, I would consider going ahead and spending some money and buying some braid to put on if I'm going to cast lures. If I'm casting bait, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, then I might just leave whatever line it is. And I'll be the first to tell you that any combo, rod reel combo, that comes with line on it, 99% of the time that line is not quality line. But it will last a couple of days for you. And if you're throwing bait where you're not making a bajillion casts a day, and you just could put a heavy sinker out there and wait for something to come by and eat your shrimp, which is an excellent way to catch all kinds of fish, then that line will be fine. But if you are an artificial guy like me and you have every intention of casting artificials the whole time, then I would go ahead and upgrade the line on, on one of those combos. But if I'm bringing it from home, I'm bringing 20-pound braid. And in my case, since I bring my reels, I pre-spool them before I go, and then I bring one extra 300-yard spool of braided line with me, and that spool is in case I grenade some line, I tangle something, or I get broke off, I get a fish that wraps me on a piling or something and, and breaks my line off. And you might say, oh, I'm not going to get broke off. Well, I get broken off in freshwater once or twice a year. Typically, it's my mistake for from not having a fresh knot, maybe a half dozen times in a really poor year. But in saltwater, you might get broke off three times in a week, and it's because the fish is bigger and stronger than you, <laughs> and they just flat beat you. So that's a key thing. So we got our rod reel in line. Um, now what are we throwing? You want the easy answer? This is easy. Here's the easy answer. You want a four-inch gold minnow and a quarter-ounce jig head. You can buy that at any bait shop in Florida. You can buy that at any sportsman's warehouse in Florida. A quarter-ounce jig head and a four-inch gulp minnow will catch just about anything that swims in salt water. And that's by far the most versatile thing you could throw. And if you're familiar with finesse jigging at all, if it's something you do here in your normal angling, where you throw a jig head and a grub or a tube jig or anything like that, you will have zero problems catching fish doing the same thing down there. The biggest key will be where do you fish. But the a jig head, somewhere between an eighth and a half ounce, like I might go buy one package of each, like six jig heads of each size. Uh, that's going to cost you five or six bucks each if you don't bring them from home. Uh, and then a couple bags of gulp minnows, you're in the hunt. I mean, you are absolutely in the hunt, and I would have no problems. I typically bring about a two-pound bag of gulp minnows because I know it's the only thing I'm going to throw. And I bring a bunch of them and a bunch of jig heads, and I throw it a lot. And you can catch a ton of fish doing that. But that's the most important thing, in my opinion, that you can bring. 
From there, another really good thing to bring is going to be some sort of spoons, a Johnson's Sprite, which is a classic saltwater spoon, was a famous redfish spoon. Get a gold one or a chrome one. Uh, get it in, a, in a, anywhere between a half and a one-ounce model. Also excellent spoon. Uh, you guys may be familiar with a Johnson Splinter or a Castmaster, very similar. A uh, little heavier, denser spoon also could be an excellent choice. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, a variety of jerk baits are excellent choices as well. Uh, I tend to throw floaters more in salt water because fish will come up more. And in Florida, you're going to be dealing with a lot of shallow water. So I throw floaters of some sort quite a bit. Um, you know, there's a whole slew of Berkeley cutters, that famous Cutter 90 you guys may be familiar with, with, uh, with my TV show for years and years and years. That's still available in the saltwater line. Fantastic bait. Um, I, I may throw that one. But really, the easy answer is just get the jig heads and, and the gulp minnows and go to town. Uh, the jerk baits, the topwater baits, anything else you might throw, spoons, anything else like that is just going to get less and less versatile than that jig head is, and that's important. Keep in mind, I might take that 4-inch gold minnow and bite it down to 3 inches at times to avoid bringing more and more minnows with me. So in other words, if I'm only bringing one, I'm bringing the 4s because I can turn them into 3s, but I can't turn 3-inch gold minnows into 4-inch gold minnows. So that's where my logic lies on that. And then the only other thing that I'm bringing tackle-wise is a little bit of leader material. And you could buy a leader spool at the same time um, that you buy that rod I'm talking about. For a few dollars, you can buy like a 30-yard spool of leader material. And it's going to be somewhere between 20 and maybe 40 pound. And the reason is for, for bite, for teeth. It's a bite leader is the single biggest thing. Saltwater fish, a lot of them have teeth or they have really rough lips on them, and all, or they'll have gill covers that are sharp uh, that will cut you off very easily. It's just a more um, dangerous fish in general to work with. So I'll bring a little bit of leader material with me, or I will buy it when I get there. Again, a 30-yard spool of it will more than last you uh, an entire vacation without any problem at all. If you throw straight braid, you're going to get cut off a lot because braid, as strong as it is, does not like abrasion. And... Uh, and so that's a key key part of why that leader is so important. And my, in all cases, my leader is going to be 12 to 18 inches long, same as I would do in freshwater. I'm not changing anything there. It's just a little bit heavier. And then at the other end where the jig is, I will tie a loop knot, a perfection loop. I'll make that loop as small as possible. The reason being is the heavy leader material will inhibit the action of the jig. It'll be very dead. Uh, feeling in the water and the loop knot will help with that quite a bit. So, I mean, that's basically my rig. So if it sounds like I'm saltwater fi or freshwater fishing, it is. I could very easily take a six foot six medium heavy powered spinning rod, the same as I would go bass fishing with and 20 pound braid and a 20 pound leader and a quarter ounce jig and the same size 30 reel that I would throw and just waylay fish with it. So you don't have to have specialized stuff. That's really important. And you want to keep it even simpler than everything I've just said. You can make it really easy on yourself and go buy a very cheap rod like I talked about already and buy rod reel line combo, buy a bag of semi-circle hooks, uh, small semicircle hooks and talk to any of the clerks in the stores. They'll tell you what size you need to throw frozen shrimp. And the reason I say frozen shrimp is frozen shrimp are about as ambiguous of a bait as you're ever going to get. Everybody eats shrimp. 
better to throw live shrimp, but then you need a bucket and things like that. If you want to throw frozen shrimp, take them, cut them into small pieces, put them on a semicircle hook with just enough weight to get them out there. So buy yourself some split shots and you'll catch all kinds of stuff with that. All kinds of little snappers and grunts and, and puffer fish and pinfish and just a whole slew of different things will bite that. And if you leave the tail hole and thread it on a hook and then retrieve it a little bit higher in the column, just retrieve it along, you'll catch a whole bunch of other fish doing that, different species of fish. So that can be really important as well. But if you really want to keep it simple, just get some shrimp and catch some fish. I promise you, you can do that and you will catch a lot of the fish. Again, it's going to be more importantly where you fish, so let's talk about that. My favorite place to fish, if, if I'm talking about on the bank and I'm not uh, this again, this is opportunity fishing. We're on a family vacation, whatever. I'm gonna fish a day or two. The first place I'm gonna head to is an inlet of some sort if I can if I'm anywhere near one. So there's inlets all the way around the coast of Florida, some more major than others. Any of those that have a jetty and some riprap along those jetties, which is about 90% of them. Uh, fish those and you can fish around the out around the tip of the jetty around the mouth of the inlet or farther back inside the inlet or maybe wherever whatever bridge spans that inlet maybe around the base of that bridge all of those are excellent places and will hold tons of fish but the inlets first place I want to go to, uh, to to check if I have one of those near me but any residential seawall area along inland canals can be very good particularly in the winter time which is what I'm specifically referencing here uh, the canal systems, which are extensive anywhere in Florida. If you spend any time in Florida, the canal systems are, are very extensive. Any of those inland canals can be really good. Any of the freshwater canals that are dumping into freshwater can be really, or into saltwater, I should say, pardon me, can be really good as well. Uh, and those are areas I would look at. Any of the intercoastal areas, particularly with good tide flow, can be excellent as well. Again, bridges, seawalls, uh, any sort of a pinch point, um, all good stuff. I'm not an advocate of fishing from the bridge itself because landing fish and more importantly releasing fish is very difficult, but around the base of the bridge is a whole nother story. And again, that's something I grew up doing a ton of, but but standing on a jetty or standing at the base of a bridge or standing on a seawall somewhere is also going to be the same as, as you would in freshwater in that you're going to fish right around the, the structure that you're standing on. I'm not saying make hero throws out in the middle of the inlet. That's a great way to tangle up your stuff, lose your stuff, snag it, get hook a fish you can't deal with, which happens, you know, it's kind of fun the first time, but don't try to break them off if that happens. Don't, uh, don't let them swim off with 150 yards of line and drag it around the ocean. Don't get spooled is what I'm saying. If you realize you can't stop a fish, break them off. Invariably, one of your knots will fail, I promise. But uh, point the rod straight at them and grab the spool, the reel, and break them off if you do hook something that you can't slow down. And I've done that a whole bunch of times. Uh, another possibility, though, to, to, to fish some of that stuff um, can be any of the internal retention ponds in Florida. And there's a lot of those. They're everywhere. Any one of those can be decent bass fishing. Now, here your shrimp's going to go out the window. But a possibility is to use a little piece of that shrimp to catch some bluegills and shell crackers, of which there are a lot of around those ponds, and use them for bait to catch your bass. So that's another possibility as well, depending on how serious you want to get. But I'm going to be dead honest with you. If I'm in Florida, unless I'm there for some bass fishing specific thing, I'm going saltwater fishing. A largemouth is a largemouth is a largemouth wherever you catch them within reason. 
I don't need to go to Florida where they can be very temperamental in the wintertime. Uh, they can be more difficult to catch than, than what you think. And if you're not familiar with saltwater, or excuse me, uh, uh, Florida strain bass in the wintertime, they have no, no lake for cold weather at all, and they can get very tight-lipped, whereas the saltwater fish, not necessarily so. Uh, and, and the saltwater fish, the other thing is you have some fish that are, that'll be more more fast and higher in the water column. The jacks, the mackerels, uh, things like that will be very high in the water column and swimming quickly. But then you got other fish that'll be right up against the structure that don't swim around as much. And they might be on bridge pilings or seawalls or jetties or anything like that. And those will be your snappers and your sheephead and, and all the other, the grunts and, and all the other ones I've, I've mentioned right here. Uh, in the last few minutes. All of them will be available to you in those situations as well. Um, Bottom line is, just go with an open mind. And you'd be surprised if you walk in uh, a tackle store down there and tell them, look, I got a grand total of 50 bucks and I want to fish for two days or three days out of this vacation. You can walk out of any tackle store in Florida, be ready to fish, and it is completely worth it. And then just go with an open mind and confidence because there's the beauty of the ocean is there's more fish <laughs> than there is in freshwater, and there's all kinds of fish. So if one's not biting, another one might be, and, and so on and so forth. So last couple things I'll recommend you bring, regardless of how serious you're going to fish, if you're going to go down there, one of them polarized glasses, period, but that's standard no matter where you're fishing. Uh, But I see enough people don't really consider them. And and at the end of the day, your polarized glasses will teach you so much about what's going on. You're going to be around so much glare uh, and so much water that the more you can read that water, the better off you're going to be. So your polarized glasses are going to be muy importante, in my opinion. And then if you have any intention of eating fish of any kind, then bringing a fillet knife is... Uh, a good call. And I will obviously remind you that that needs to go in your checked luggage. But bringing your own fillet knife, you'd be surprised at how many places don't have fillet knives. And you can go buy one, but again, you don't. that's not something, it's a one-off use. So if you have intention of trying to eat one of these fish in Florida, if you're staying in a VRBO or something where you might have a chance, you're, you know, your family rented a place with a pool and Cape Coral and, geez, now I'm going to fish, well, then cruise over to the intercoastal and catch some snappers and, and try to eat them for dinner. It, uh, it's delicious, and we do that always. And I always travel with a fillet knife with me on my way to Florida. So... My recommendation is just if you're going Florida, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, consider fishing a day or two. If nothing else, uh, it'll be a bucket list thing, particularly if you haven't spent any time in salt water. Your kids will dig it. Uh, you know, you can fish on beaches as well, although I'm, that's not my first choice. That's a little bit more seasonal and da-da-da-da-da. I'm not a huge fan of fishing on beaches, but all the other places I mentioned are good. And anywhere there's a beach, there's an inlet. I promise you that. So keep those things in mind. The, the, the biggest thing, too, is get yourself some regulations. So if you are going to keep any fish, you know what to deal with. And just be careful with how you handle fish. If you're not familiar with handling saltwater fish, uh, ooh, that's a reminder. I did not tell you, bring a pair of needle nose pliers. Bring a long pair of needle nose pliers. Put them in your luggage and bring them. I'm supposed to put that in there with the fillet knife and I forgot and I apologize. You're going to need to unhook fish and, and a lot of them are gonna have teeth and gill covers and hard to get a hold of. Just grab your hook with a, with a pair of pliers and, and take them off. Don't, don't worry about trying to actually handle the fish and you'll be better off from there. So 
little bit long-winded podcast, guys. Sorry about that, but it's something that is very, uh, something I'm passionate about. It's also something I'm planning here very quick myself, so it's front of mind. And I've been packing my own stuff, getting ready to go, and I'm looking forward to it a whole bunch. So, And incidentally, I'm packing exactly what I told you. Two rods, two reels, one small 3,700 box with some jig heads, a couple of hard baits, a couple of spoons, spool leader material, a couple of pairs of Costas, a fillet knife, and a pair of pliers. That's uh, one extra spool of, uh, of line. That's the extent of what I'm packing, and I'm going to be down there for eight days. And I will fish every day that I'm down there. So... Hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you have questions, reach me at chat at fishfulthinker.com. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation on social media, please do that at Fishful Thinker across all the platforms that we're on, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Please check out our YouTube channel. There's a bunch of saltwater videos on there as well that might help you out. So, uh, Also, I want to point out the new seasons of Fishful Thinker have debuted on Fishful, or on. Um, on Altitude Sports Entertainment and World Fishing Network. So hopefully you guys will check those out and, uh, and let us know what you think there. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.